Good morning. A couple of weeks ago, we were studying about the rich young ruler. And uh, if you remember, we started with a passage where uh, parents were bringing their children to Jesus. And uh, the disciples didn't like that, so they rebuked the parents. And then Jesus said, no, let the little children come unto me. And he said, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he added and said, and if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, verse 17, he said, Assuredly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And then we talked about the rich young ruler as a counterexample. He didn't try to enter the kingdom of God as a little child. We talked a little bit about what it meant then. If you weren't here, get the tape. Well, today we have the positive example. And that's, if you turn to the next page, for you it might be on the same page, Luke chapter 19, we have the case of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. I wonder how much we know about Zacchaeus. Typically you hear the song, Zacchaeus was a weird little man. I don't appreciate that song, by the way. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's enough material for us here in this passage to look at Zacchaeus and to appreciate a little bit what kind of a person he was and really what it was that got him into the kingdom of God. And that's hopefully of an interest to a wide assortment of people. How do you get into the kingdom of God? Not as the rich young ruler did, who tried to somehow do it by, by his good works. If you remember, he came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do? Or what should I do that I may inherit the kingdom of God? He wanted to enter by his doing. And uh, in the case of Zacchaeus, you see, that was impossible for Zacchaeus. Because he already undone himself in such a way. He knew there was nothing he could ever do to make himself worthy of God. And that's what allowed him then to enter as a young child. <coughs> let's... let's uh, Turn to the passage, or read it, in, starting in verse 1 of chapter 19. The book of Luke, chapter 19, and verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourthfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save 
that which was lost. If you ever wondered why Jesus came, he has the answer for us at the end. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, which is really our commentary for the entire passage today. But first, let's start at the beginning. In chapter 1, it says Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. It's good to get our timing in order. This is uh, getting to the very end of Jesus' ministry. In fact, Jericho is the last city he stopped in before he went into Jerusalem. And if you look at the rest of the chapter, you'll see the triumphal entry. Jesus actually coming into Jerusalem. And we know at the end of his stay at Jerusalem, he would be crucified. So this is the very end of Jesus' ministry. And in some sense, you could think about it as Jesus' final words to Israel. Of course, he'll have more opportunities to speak in Jerusalem, but there you'll have other things going on. There'll be the confrontation with the religious authorities. So certainly Jesus is here thinking very much aware that this is uh, getting to the end of his ministry and there's a, a message he needs to bring out. And this is the message he's bringing out, which we will see in this passage. Second, just a comment about Jericho. He was going through Jericho. Jericho happens to be the lowest city on the face of the earth at minus 850 feet. Okay, the Dead Sea is a little bit lower. Uh, it's about uh, minus 1,000 feet. But Jericho is the lowest city inhabited place on the face of the planet. Uh, I, I've been reading to my children a book called The Little Pilgrim's Progress. But maybe many of you have read the book Pilgrim's Progress, and you know he starts out in the city of distraction. That's where he grows up. And uh, that's an allegory. The whole book is an allegory of the Christian life, coming, uh, being saved, and, and, and walking uh, following Christ to uh, the celestial city or, or a picture of heaven. In a sense, Jericho is like a picture of it. Okay, It's like the city of destruction. It's not just that it's the lowest place on the face of the earth. It's literally under the judgment of God. When Joshua walk, came into Israel, Jericho was the first city that stood in his way. And uh, Joshua destroyed it to rubble. And uh, it was such a polluted city, God commanded that nobody even take the treasures out of that city. If you remember, somebody actually laid hold of that treasure, and as a result, Israel suffered defeat in the next uh, venture into the promised land, or trying to conquer more territory. And, uh, and Joshua laid a curse on anybody who would rebuild that city, saying if anyone would rebuild that city, he would lose his firstborn and his youngest son in the process, which actually happened. Somebody actually went ahead and rebuilt it after Joshua said not to, and he lost his firstborn and his youngest child. And you ask, well, why would anybody rebuild the city? Why would people be living in that city? Well, it was a very wealthy part of Israel. It had probably the best agriculture in Israel for certain types of special plants, maybe because it was so low. Um, it was a major caravan route. If you were going from Asia to Egypt, you would pass right by Jericho. So it was a very rich region, which is why a person like Zacchaeus a chief tax collector would reside in that place in Jericho. So it was, it was an attractive place. So people came back and they lived there, even though God laid a curse on that city. But it's like a picture of the world under the condemnation of God. Zacchaeus. The word Zacchaeus uh, comes from the Hebrew word Zakai, which means pure. Well, it's almost like irony because he was anything but pure especially to the people of Israel. It says he was a tax collector. It's hard for us to appreciate what a tax collector means. I mean, we would say, well, I don't really like paying my taxes, but, you know, I'm not particularly mad about someone who works for the uh, IRS. 
You know, he's just doing his job. And it's, we recognize it's a necessary part of our nation to have tax collection because without tax collection, there'll be no road, there won't be any social services. So we've learned to see taxes as something somewhat good, which allows us to handle our encounter with, with people from the IRS. Well, in the case of Israel, it was worse for a number of reasons. One of them, the tax collectors were giving money to the Romans. Israel was being subjugated at the time under the Roman Empire. Okay, they weren't their own nation. Somebody ruled over them. And the money that was collected didn't typically go to repair the local roads. It typically went to like feed all the people at Rome that didn't want to work and needed to be kept entertained, you know, with the Rome, with the uh, arena and gladiator shows and all of that. So you didn't give your money for anything good. Um, to, to try to come up with a modern illustration, you know, imagine your IRS person. Instead of you sending him a check at the end of the year, or really, typically, most people, it just gets taken out of your paycheck, so you almost don't feel it. You know, you don't get paid as much as you would have otherwise, but you can almost forget about the fact. Well, in that case, you know, somebody comes knocking at your door once a year or whatever frequency and says, pay up, and would ask you for 10% of your income or 20%, whatever it was. A sizable sum. You wouldn't enjoy writing that check and handing it to him. Okay? And like I said, uh, the money wouldn't go for local services. It went for Rome. So you wouldn't be happy about that either. <clears throat> um, next thing, the guy was uh, not always honest. So you owe 10%. He would say, give me 15%. And you know, if, if you complain about it, he just calls the police and they throw you in jail. So you pay the 15% knowing that he pockets 5% of your hard-earned cash in his pocket to make himself wealthier. Okay, not a nice guy. Uh, to add to it, for the Jews, it was particularly upsetting because he was, he was like a traitor. They were a nation, and he was one of their own. The Romans were smart. So instead of sending Romans to collect money, they would send Jews. So this was a traitor, a person who was willing to betray his people to serve the Romans and to pad his own pockets. Okay, so you could understand a little bit of how much Zacchaeus' neighbor thought of him. They didn't like the guy very much. And uh, I mentioned the fact that he had, he couldn't have come like the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler had a respectable job. We don't know what it was, but he was a ruler. He may have been the head of a synagogue. He might have been in the Sanhedrin. He was, he was doing good things for the nation of Israel. He could come to Jesus thinking, boy, I'm a good guy, and maybe there's something so good I can do to make me enter, to help me enter the kingdom of God. Zacchaeus, when he took this job, he realized he was selling his soul for money. You know, there no, no Pharisee, no priest, no religious person would, would give uh, uh, Zacchaeus literally one chance in hell to make it to heaven. He couldn't. He sold his soul. Now, the next thing we see here is that Zacchaeus has an interest in Jesus. Right? In verse 3, it says, And he sought to see who Jesus was. Now, I use the word interest. It's not a casual interest that he had in seeing Jesus. Let me give you an example of a casual interest. When I was a graduate student in Berkeley, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger came to town because he was going to make one of his films. And... Uh, for whatever reason, he needed something part of the background of Berkeley. He was supposedly, I think, a professor in that film. And 
Forget it. Uh, but I, you know, I, I said, boy, that'd be cool to see Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I went to the part of the campus he was supposed to be at. Of course, I didn't see him. But it was a passing interest. I didn't see him. I said, whatever. And I went back to doing what I was doing. It was a passing interest. That was not the case in Zacchaeus. Okay, it says he sought. The uh, Greek word is zetir. And uh, it's applied by Jesus to, for example, a shepherd looking for his sheep. The shepherd would not give up looking for his sheep until he found the sheep. And the same way Zacchaeus wasn't going to give up. And we see it in the passage. He, he went to see Jesus. The crowd was too tall. There's nothing wrong with him. It's the other people. They were too tall. <laughs> and uh, so he runs ahead of them to where there's no crowd because Jesus is not going to be in that area for a while yet. But he knows which way Jesus is going. So he runs ahead, climbs up a tree that overhangs the road, Make sure nobody can block his sight. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Why? Why did Zacchaeus want to see who Jesus was? Let me start by telling you why he didn't want to see him. Why, what wasn't the motivation? Most people today, as in that time, were interested in Jesus because of something they thought they could get from him that pertains to a worldly life, typically. Uh, for example, if you wanted to be healed, there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus was healing people. People went to him to be healed. Uh, at a few occasions, Jesus, made, you know, people came to him. They had no food. They stayed with him a long time. Jesus fed them. He turned five loaves of bread into something that could feed uh, 10, 20,000 people. So people started following Jesus for food. Uh, some people were interested in Jesus because uh, he claimed to be the Messiah. And as the Messiah, they expected he would drive off the Romans. Nobody liked the Romans, so they wanted to follow Jesus to see him kick the Romans out of Israel. Well, Zacchaeus couldn't have been interested in any of those things. He, he had all the money he could want. Okay? He wasn't sick or ill, as far as we can tell. He didn't need healing. He didn't need to be fed. He would have had no reason to want to see Jesus kick the Romans out because the Romans were Zacchaeus' employers. Okay? It leaves us with one thing. Zacchaeus was interested in Jesus for a spiritual reason. He was interested in what Jesus was offering spiritually to people. Um, why? Well, to start with, Jesus was the only religious authority that showed any interest in tax collectors. The priests, the Pharisees could care less. That's it. You were too bad of a sinner. They weren't interested in working with someone who wasn't. He's gone. He's lost. Forget him. Okay? For Jesus, that wasn't the case. He saw a tax collector. He saw someone who could be saved. In fact, he even made one of them his disciples, Matthew, was a tax collector. And Jesus didn't just save him. He made him into one of the 12 guys he was training to go out into the world and save people. Uh, another reason, or something it shows about Zacchaeus at this point. Zacchaeus was rich. Okay, he, he was willing to give up everything to have money. And now he had it all. He wasn't satisfied. He went after wealth thinking that this would make him happy, now that he had it all, he realized he wasn't a happy person. We typically see certain people in this world as so successful that we're sure they would be happy. Uh, I talked to my grandmother yesterday, and uh, she reminded me that when I was young, I was a fan of uh, Michael Jackson. And uh, at the time, everybody was a fan of Michael Jackson. You know, the, the 80s, at least anybody my age. And uh, then she reminisced how 
you know, how really good of a singer he was, how much charisma he won, how popular he was, how rich he was. Um, but then she continued and said, you know, how sad, because she thought about his ending. Michael Jackson, if you don't know, died, I think, a year or two ago from an overdose of sleeping pill. The guy was so desperate to be able to get a good night's sleep that he overdosed on sleeping pills and killed himself. He wasn't a happy person. And the same is with everything this world offers to us. It doesn't fulfill. We chase it. We try to have it. And at the end, we find that it's empty. There's a good verse in Jeremiah where Jeremiah describes the nation of Israel in this way. He says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Water here is an illustration God is using, and he's describing himself as a fountain of living water. Living water. He satisfies. Okay, you were created for one purpose, and that purpose is to know God and have a relationship with God. And as a result, God is the one who can truly satisfy you because he created you for that purpose, for that relationship. When you reject God and you try to find something else to fulfill you, say riches or money, as was the case in Zacchaeus, what you're doing, uh, what it's described as, is hewing yourself cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Cisterns, for those of you who are not familiar with them, were holes that people dug in the rock. In Israel, it rains in the winter. It doesn't rain in the summer. California happens to be the same way. Many places in the world, it rains year-round, so you don't worry about it. There's always water coming from the sky. Uh, or you have wells, or here we have the hetch hetch redirected to us, so we don't worry about it. There, if you wanted to have water in the summer, you needed to provide yourself some storage containers, and that's what the systems were. They would dig themselves holes in the rock, and maybe direct water, and it would fill up thousands, maybe millions of gallons in this hole in the rock, and then you can get water there in the summer. You can come in the summer and know there'll be water for you, even in the summer. Well, the problem with these systems is they're broken. Okay? It says, um, they use for yourself broken system. The problem with the broken system, all the water goes out. And that's what happens whenever we try to build anything else for us in this world to fulfill us, to satisfy us. The water runs out. It doesn't fulfill us. It doesn't satisfy us. And that's what Zacchaeus found out. And that's why he started looking for something else. And then he heard about Jesus. And he heard about Jesus uh, offering this. Jesus stood up on the last, uh, last day of the feast. I'm reading from John 7, 37 through 38. It was uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. And at the end of that feast, that last great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus was using the same illustration with water, saying, I can satisfy. I can give you this relationship with God, which alone can meet your need. And Zacchaeus heard that. And he heard that Jesus was interested, and spiritually interested in tax collector. And because of it, he was interested in Jesus. And when Jesus was going to come through Jericho, Zacchaeus wanted to see him. Okay, he wanted to see him. We'll talk about that, the fact he just wanted to see him. Really, ideally, he should come to Jesus and ask Jesus to save him. But at this point, he just wants to see. He wants to see this man 
that's making these offers and that's interested in tax collector like him. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. We find out something very interesting in this passage. Remember, Zacchaeus is staying on the tree. He is interested in Jesus. He wants Jesus. But Jesus is about to walk right under the tree and into the blue, as far as Zacchaeus was concerned. And Jesus does something very interesting. He stands and he looks up. He tells Zacchaeus, get down. Today I must stay in your house. Two things. First of all, up to now we will focus on Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus' interest in the Lord. And it would seem like Zacchaeus is seeking the Lord. The Lord could care less. He's just walking through Jericho. This shows us a new reality. Jesus is searching for Zacchaeus. It's not Zacchaeus that's searching for Jesus. Because Zacchaeus was going to let Jesus walk by. Jesus was not willing to walk by Zacchaeus. He knew what was going on in Zacchaeus' heart because he was God. And there was an opportunity here. He wasn't going to let Zacchaeus miss. Receive him. Jesus is challenging Zacchaeus to receive him. Why does Zacchaeus need to receive Jesus? What is this that Jesus is trying to get Zacchaeus to do? It says this in John chapter 1, starting at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. It's describing Jesus as coming to the world as something to be received. And it says here, if you receive Jesus, you will have the right to become a child of God. Some people like to think that they're children of God by heritage. The Jews wanted to think that. They said, you know, we have one father, even God. And Jesus turned to them and said, no, you're the children of the devil. And he wasn't being mean about it. He was saying the truth. God made us to have a relationship with him. But Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and follow the devil. And from that point on, they and all their descendants were children of the devil in the sense that they followed him. They were doing their own things. Instead of God being the God of their life, they were trying to be the gods of their own lives. They were trying to do their own things. And that's the reality about people today. We try to live our own life, do our own things. We become our own gods. And in that sense, we're following in the devil's footsteps. He wanted to be God instead of God. That's how we rebelled against God and became the devil. And uh, so to become children of God, really, Jesus is talking about salvation. I have come so that those who receive me can become the children of God, be restored to God. What does it mean to receive Jesus? I broke it into uh, three areas. It probably has other areas as well. But uh, turn, if you would, with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 18. Now all things are of God, 
who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We see two areas of receiving here. The first one, it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Okay, Trying to get people to come, come to him. It's an offer of peace. And the, the very elementary, most elementary base, receiving Christ is receiving an offer of peace. God recognizes you have rebelled against him. You have lived your own life. You have done your own thing. You wanted nothing to do with him. He is willing to forgive you. He is willing to be reconciled with you. He is willing for you to become and own him as God again. Okay? Not imputing, not imputing your sin to you. God can't judge you. In fact, the Bible is certain that this will happen. God will judge people for their sins. Okay? Nobody gets away with living apart from God and staying in that condition. Judgment will come. But God is offering peace here. He is offering for people to come and not experience that judgment. Not that there won't be judgment, but people can be saved out of that judgment. Okay? Number two, receiving Christ means receiving the means through which you can be reconciled to God. And we have it for us in verses 21. How is it possible, me as a sinner, my sins must be judged by God, for that is righteous, and God is righteous. How is it possible that I can be reconciled to God and escape that judgment? Well, there's only one way, and that's in verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We were worshiping the Lord this morning, thinking about him as a mediator. He was the one man that Job was asking whether there is such a mediator who can lay hands on man and on God and somehow reconcile them together. And uh, Don made a good point that this is the only case where the mediator himself is paying the price of reconciliation. Jesus paid that price. Your sin that must be judged by God, have been paid for by Jesus. So when you receive Christ, you're receiving that payment that he made on your behalf. You receive God's offer for peace. You receive the payment made on your behalf. And then if you would turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. That's the third aspect of what it means to receive Christ. Starting in verse 6, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, 
and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. This is the third aspect of receiving Christ is really receiving him as your relationship with God. You receive Christ as Lord and Savior. You're not just receiving a message. You're not just receiving uh, the price paid for you. You're receiving a person. You're receiving Christ. And through your relationship with him, it says you are complete. Remember we talked about God. You were made to have a relationship with God. And without that, you won't be complete. Well, in Christ, you are complete. Now you have this relationship with God. Uh, so that's, that's the three aspects of receiving Christ, which were necessary for Zacchaeus to be saved. Obviously, we don't know how much of this Zacchaeus understand. Jesus wasn't yet offered as a sacrifice. So Zacchaeus would have had to trust Jesus for that provision. He wouldn't know how Jesus can both justify the guilty and be just at the same time. He had, would have had to trust uh, Jesus for that. But... Uh, so back to Luke chapter 19. We see he receives him. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. In case you have any doubt, what kind of receiving? Is this really receiving Christ to be saved? Or is he simply letting Jesus as a guest into his house? Well, Jesus is very clear. He says, today salvation has come into this house. Okay, so he, he received Jesus the best way he know how, and that was good enough. Okay, Jesus challenged him to receive him, and Zacchaeus responds. The other signs we have that Zacchaeus is receiving Jesus more than just as a guest. Um, first of all, the way he obeys him. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't just say, you know, may I please come into your house as a guest today? He says, come down quickly. You know, today I must stay. Jesus is, is addressing him as his Lord. And he is receiving Jesus as Lord the way he responds. He comes down quickly. And there's actually another hint of it in uh, verse 8. The next time we see Zacchaeus, he says, you know, he stood up, or he stood. It suggests that Zacchaeus was on his knees before the Lord receiving him. Okay, so this was really receiving. Another hint we have is it says that uh, he did it rejoicing. He did it rejoicing. And we, we sang earlier today, when Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy, oh my soul, like the sea billows roll, when Jesus came into my heart. I wonder how many were singing that, you know, out of their heart. But I, I remember when I received Christ, uh, I experienced floods of joy. Okay, That's because you finally have that completion that you were designed to have by God. And, uh, and that was Zacchaeus' experience, which shows really that uh, he was saved at that moment. And, and the offer is out there. God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. He invites people to come and to taste and to see he really fulfills. Okay, hasn't been anybody disappointed yet that came to the Lord and was disappointed. You'll be fulfilled. Uh, okay, well, so much for the good news. Now for the bad news is uh, really the rest, rest of the people in Jericho. Something wonderful happened. A person was saved. A person has come into the relationship God designed him to have. A person that was sad and miserable, though rich, was now happy and full of joy. And it wasn't just him. The Bible says that, uh, Luke 15:10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So there was joy in heaven too. God, the heart of God was rejoicing over Zacchaeus coming to him. But there's people complaining. Verse 7. But when they saw it, the people of Jericho, and possibly many others, 
Jesus was going up to Jerusalem for the Passover. Many other Jews were now coming to Jerusalem to gather for the feast of the Passover. They complained. They all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Why are they complaining? Well, it shows problem, really a number of problems in their heart. First of all, it shows that uh, they weren't fulfilling one of the basic commandments because the Bible says, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. Where is love to Zacchaeus? You know, the man is happy. We, we struggle with that with our daughters. You know, sometimes, you know, one daughter gets something special. You know, and often the other one is upset. I mean, if you loved your sister, wouldn't you be happy that she's happy? Shouldn't they be happy that Zacchaeus is happy? We should. Okay, so that's a problem. It shows that there's a problem in their heart. Number two, it shows a misunderstanding of God's love. Because they, as the rich young ruler, thought it was somehow by our goodness. We have to be good. And when I achieve enough goodness, then God is satisfied. Then God you know, will love me and God will let me into heaven. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God loves Zacchaeus, the worst man in Jericho. That may have been the worst city in Israel. God loves him. Okay? And they didn't understand that. And the third problem is it shows they thought they were better than Zacchaeus, right? He's gone to be in, you know, a sinner's house. Like the Pharisees praying, you know, I'm thankful I'm not like that publican over there. Okay, they thought they were better. Well, you know, maybe in humans' relative terms they were better. They weren't good enough to go to heaven. Okay, they were still sinners in the sight of God. And, uh, and herein is the bad news. Jesus came to offer salvation to everyone in Israel. And in fact, the real purpose of this passage is trying to open their eyes to that. And what kept people from receiving Jesus was really those two problems. Number one is they thought that you had to be good to go to heaven. And number two, they thought they were pretty good and had a good chance at it. Okay, those are the two things that were keeping the majority of people then from coming to Christ. Those are the two things that keep the majority of people coming to Jesus today. Is it thinking that God only likes good people or thinking that they're good enough? Okay, Zacchaeus' response. Okay, first, we really need to stop and consider how amazing of a change happened in Zacchaeus in a few minutes, maybe a few seconds. Okay, up to that point, he was a public robber. He would go to people's house, take their money, give it to Rome, and pocket the difference. He didn't care about wronging people. He didn't care about the fact that he had more money than he knew what to do with, and there were probably people starving on the other side of the street. Now he stands up and says, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. He was a rich man. He was going to give half of it. Uh, it's interesting. There's a campaign by Bill Gates today. I don't know how many of you heard about it. Bill Gates, until recently the richest man in the world. Now he's like, you know, slightly less rich than somebody else. He's still worth, you know, multi-billions of dollars. But uh, he started giving a lot of money to charity. And you can't say anything wrong about it. It's good. But he's been going around and trying to convince other rich people to promise half their wealth to charitable causes. And, uh, I mean, he's trying, he's working hard at it. It's not easy to convince people to let go of their money. Even people that have more money than they probably know what to do with. He's really, he's not bothering with people like you and me. Okay, he's going after multi-billionaires. Those are the people he's trying to convince to give half their money. Well, in Zacchaeus, it happened in, in like a, you know, a very short amount of time. All of a sudden, he's giving half his wealth away. Why? And, and obviously restoring. It says, I'll be restoring fourth fold. Anyone I took anything wrongly, 
I'm going to restore fourfold. So probably by the end of this, Zacchaeus is not going to have anything left because he's probably been robbing a lot of people. But he, he doesn't seem to care about his money right now, which we'll get into. Why is he doing it? Well, uh, first of all, it's not to earn salvation with God. And it's not to keep his salvation. Okay? He knows he's a sinner, and he knows Jesus knows he's a sinner, because Jesus knew his name even though he never met him. Okay? Jesus knew just how rotten of a man Zacchaeus was. So Zacchaeus knew that if it depended on his performance, he's lost. Okay? So he's coming to Jesus, and he's here receiving Jesus, not based on his performance or anything he has done. Second, the attack was not against Zacchaeus. Nobody is beating Zacchaeus down here. They're beating Jesus down. Right? They're saying, they're complaining that Jesus has gone to be the guest with a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus is actually concerned about Christ's reputation. Okay? We're trying to separate ourselves from the rich young ruler who was trying to offer something to Jesus, was trying to do some sort of a good work to get into heaven. He was in some way trying to promote himself. Okay? Zacchaeus is not interested in himself. He's interested in Jesus' reputation, in the glory of Jesus. Okay? He's now doing things out of a different motive. Instead of seeking his own, he is seeking the things of Christ. He now, because Jesus loved him, he now loves Jesus back. He is doing it out of a motive of love. The only real reason we should be doing good works, it should never be out of self-seeking. It should never be wanting to think people, having people think better of me. It shouldn't be trying to earn my way to heaven. It shouldn't be trying to keep my salvation. It should only be motivated of love for Christ. That's, that's the only kind of good works that Jesus accepts. Something done out of love to him. Uh, the third thing we see here, like I said, the change in Zacchaeus. Remember, up to this point, his one goal in life was to make money. Now he's giving it all away. It makes me think of the Samaritan woman. I don't know how many of you remember that detail in the story. But Jesus goes to her, he asks for water, uh, she uh, challenges him about it. He tells her, well, you know, if you knew who it was you were speaking to and the gift of God that's available, you'll ask him and he'll give you living water. And she says, well, you know, I want the living water so I don't need to come to this well to get water anymore. Well, at the end, after she realizes who Jesus is and she receives him, she walks away and leaves a water can behind. She wasn't thirsty anymore. She didn't need the water. She was filled. Zacchaeus doesn't want money anymore. He doesn't, he doesn't need wealth. He was pursuing wealth. He thought wealth would make him happy. Now he's giving it away like it was worthless because he found true fulfillment. Amen. He found that having God, he needs nothing else. And so he can just give it away just like that. Finally, we have uh, Jesus' conclusion of the section. In verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So, like I said, these are Jesus' final words to the nation of Israel. Okay? He's helping, trying to help them see what has happened. Zacchaeus was just saved. Okay? In ex- explains what happened. It was because he also is a son of Abraham. Now, there's two schools of thoughts about this verse, if you read commentaries. Most commentaries will say something like this. Well, 
he has now become a son of Abraham. Before he wasn't really, you know, he was living as a sinner. But now he's really following Abraham. He's doing, he's being the kind of righteous person Abraham was. He believes in God like Abraham had faith in God. Which, which might be a possible interpretation of the passage. Uh, the other school of thought, which I lean towards, is, uh, Jesus is saying he also is a son of Abraham. Yes, he's a terrible sinner. But he also is a son of Abraham. And as a result, he's not excluded. Now, it sounds kind of a restrictive when you say that, because not everybody are sons of Abraham according to the flesh. But that wasn't the crowd that Jesus was dealing with. All of them were Jews. And they looked at Zacchaeus as someone that couldn't be redeemed. And Jesus said, no, he is also a son of Abraham. Just to read a quick verse about it. <clears throat> we're, uh, we're starting right now in the, in the book of Romans. Unity between Jews and Gentiles. And uh, we started it in the beginning of chapter 14. Near the end of that, chap- of that section in chapter 15, Jesus continues with the subject of unity and he says, Therefore receives one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So both groups are saved. The Jews are saved and the Gentiles are saved. The Jews are saved. It says here to confirm the promises made to the Father. So there were specific promises made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, about the Messiah being sent to them, to uh, really through them and to them to save them. Okay, so the Jews had specific promises of the Messiah, and Jesus came to fulfill the promises, to show that God is faithful. To the Gentiles, God shows how merciful he is. He includes, even though there were no promises, God, because of God's mercy, he will save everybody. Okay, so there's no exclusion. God will save everybody. God wants to save every person. But in the particular uh, period of time, Jesus was showing his faithfulness to God, and because Zacchaeus was a child of Abraham. He also was included. The idea here is Jesus is showing them how broad is the net of God. God wants to save everybody. Even Zacchaeus, the chief of sinners in the worst city in Jerusalem, I want to save. There's an example of this in uh, 1 Timothy. Paul says this. He says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom... I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So first, Paul repeats what Jesus says. The purpose of Jesus coming into this world was to save sinners. Praise God. Okay? That's what we need. We need a savior of sinners because that's who we are. We are sinners. And Paul makes the point that he was the chief of sinners, of whom I am chief. And Paul had some right to say it. You know, we'd all like to raise our hand and say, no, I am the chief sinner. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He made a living out of catching, imprisoning, torturing, killing Christians and getting them to blaspheme against the Lord. Okay, so he was a bad guy. But he says, God saved me to show an example. Anybody can be saved. If I can be saved, anybody can be saved. And that's what Jesus was doing in this passage with Zacchaeus. He was showing, look, anybody can be saved. I can save the worst person here. I can save you too. Okay? 
All that was missing was people owning up to their sinfulness and realizing that God loved sinners and wanted to save sinners. And then receiving him. Receiving him. What about you? What about you? I don't know where you are here. Where you are spiritually. I know you're here. But uh, the same offer that Jesus made to Zacchaeus, he makes general. In Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus wants to have you also in fellowship with him, restored to a relationship with God through him. He wants to complete you. Where are you today? Where do you want to be? Are you ready to receive Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Where would we be without you? We thank you for loving us so much that you would send your Son to seek and to save that which was lost. We confess, Lord, we're all lost without you. I pray here, Lord, for anyone who has not yet opened the door and received you, that you might help them do that even today. In Jesus' name.